0: see you all tonight. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. That's where we are in our study. And uh, we want to look at verses 9 through 16, uh, what I've titled uh, the widow's role, the widow's role, or the widow's list. And uh, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer here. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege to uh, come together in Jesus' name, to study the Word of God together, to sing your praises, to pray together, Uh, Lord, uh, just thank you for the interaction we have with you, uh, our living God, our wonderful Savior. Lord, we pray for your blessing on the uh, Awana and the youth group as they begin the fall ministries tonight. Thank you for each one that serves in leadership there. Pray that you bless their ministries, give them wisdom, bless the ministry of the Word, and uh, bless our time as well here. We commit our evening to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, you note on the overhead, uh, we have the outline of the book. Church order is the theme of the book, and uh, we have various instructions regarding uh, how the church should carry on, instructions regarding the work in the church, uh, chapter 5 through 610. That's where we find ourselves. And uh, we know why he wrote this. Uh, He tells us very plainly. Can you help me with that next slide, Mickey? For some reason, I'm stuck. There you go. First uh, Timothy three fifteen. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So there is a proper way to carry on, to conduct ourselves, to behave ourselves in the church, in the context of God's people, and uh, that's his concern as he's writing First uh, Timothy. Uh, church has been in existence for about 10 years. You would think they should know how to behave themselves by this time, right? Well, they need a little help yet. They need some strengthening. And sometimes the church does. Uh, very important how we uh, care for one another. Christ said, by this all men will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Uh, that's true in the home. I think it starts in the home. Uh, also true in the, in the church family, in the extended family of the church. Uh, How we care for one another is very important. And so we come to this long section, really. Chapter 5, verse 3 through 16 is really dealing with widows all the way through here for the most part. Um, He deals with some other things, how to treat older men, how to treat older women, the younger men, the younger women. He touches on that before he gets to the widows. But then for the most part, this section is dealing with uh, properly uh, treating widows. Well, uh, we have noted that uh, it is up to the family, first and foremost, to take care of the widow's needs. And then, if they have no one, it is up to the church to take care of the widow's needs. And uh, so, we're going to pick it up right kind of midstream. We left off there last time, chapter 5, verse 8, where he says, If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith is worse than an unbeliever. Most unbelievers will even do this. Many unbelievers will. But uh, he says, if you don't do this, I saying, it's a practical denial of the faith. We talk about practical atheism, acting like God doesn't exist by how you're living. Uh, this is really kind of assuming the role of a practical atheist, where you won't even take care of your own family. Uh, you're worse, he says, than an unbeliever, worse than a, an infidel. Okay, well, we pick it up there. Uh, let's have somebody read verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10. Who wants to read that for us? Albert? <clears throat> Okay, thank you. All right, so, um, you know, we need to be, uh, sometimes we are, have to be reactive, right? A need comes up, we need to address it. But this is kind of more proactive. Uh, this is a situation where we see these widows are going to have some long-term needs. And so this is kind of proactive here in, in terms of what he's talking about here. Uh, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. So, uh, not not, can't be too young. Uh, No one under sixty is what he's instructing here. Um, Probably a little more mature, you know, as you get a few miles on you. There's a little maturity that comes with that, generally. Hopefully, not always, (laughs) but hopefully. And uh, so, and he'll give some good reasons for this as he goes along here. But he sets uh, the Role at uh, 60 years old. And then he says it'll be taken into number. Uh, literally, the idea is to be put on a list, uh, to be on, on, a, on the roll, And uh, so we might call this the widow's role or the widow's list. And, uh, well, what's involved in this? It seems that we're talking about a support list. Uh, the widows who are eligible to be supported by the church. And uh, so he said, you don't, you don't put all the widows on the list here. Uh, in fact, here's the first criteria. They should be older. You know, younger women, they have some means yet of kind of fending for themselves. He's going to point out, if they get remarried, great, go for it. He's encouraging that. But to get older, and at this point in history, in, in the, the early days of the church, 60 was considered to be very old. A lot of times people didn't live much longer than that. And so really, he's talking about older older women. Now, we're not giving specifics, but he does talk a lot about their character. Uh, what kind of women have they been? It's kind of interesting. You say, well, it doesn't matter how they've lived. They're an old woman. They have great needs. Boy, that's, that's not exactly what he says, is it? No, he lists all kinds of uh, criteria in terms of uh, if they've been serious about serving, then we need to be there for them. What about those that haven't been? Well, he doesn't mention that. He's saying, here's who's eligible to be on the list. Almost seems kind of cruel, maybe. But he set some criteria here. There's no question about that. And uh, here's where he goes. Uh, she should be 60, at least 60 years old, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. We list several character uh, qualities here. And the first one he begins is the wife of one man, which is kind of similar to what? Yeah, the elders and the deacons who are to be a, the husband of one wife. In this case, uh, the wife of one man. I think, again, we're talking about character, uh, quality. Um, I think that's what's in view here. She should be a one-man woman, uh, not a person who's been a loose woman. Uh, but a faithful uh, sexually faithful woman uh, to her to her man, and uh, let 's see I think i 've got another slide here for this yes, if one woman if, if one man woman emphasizes married only once as the special high standard of spirituality, then why did Paul recommend a second marriage for young widows in verse fourteen? I think the essential issue is that of character I think that 's true all the way through elders deacons the issue is uh, character, uh, the quality of a person's character. <clears throat> I think that's what we're talking about all the way through here. Covenant of faithfulness in marriage says much about a person's character. So she's got a proven track record. He starts there in terms of uh, the wife uh, of, one, of one man, a, a one-man woman, in effect, in terms of her character. And then he says, um, uh, he continues there in verse 10, well-reported for good works. She has a reputation for being uh, not only a hard worker, but, but doing good works. She's there for other people, doing all kinds of good things. Uh, her love for others shows. It's it's the fruit of her life. And, uh, you know, we see examples of this. Uh, Dorcas is an example of this. In Acts chapter 9, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, uh, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she, she did. Uh, well, She was known for this. I mean, everybody knew this. This is how she carried on in her life. And that's what he's talking about here. Well reported for good works. I mean, this lady was uh, this person who's qualified to be on the role. uh, She had a reputation for for being there to help, uh, for doing things for people, not just thinking of herself. If she has brought up children, this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, What are children supposed to do in relationship to widows? Take care. Where are they? (laughs) <laughs> why does she have to be put on the widow's list uh, <laughs> maybe they died you know lots of children died uh, maybe they weren't hers might have been orphans true uh, still if they're in the area I think they should have some obligation too uh, but uh, yeah might have been orphans maybe they moved you know people move uh, maybe life has taken them over here or over there you know maybe they're just not in a position uh, to do it we, we don't know he, he's talking in general terms here uh, but uh, if she has brought up children, she's been a faithful wife. Uh, she has been a faithful mother, is, is the sense here, uh, if, this is her, if this is her background. Um, Stephen Cole says, this probably means that she has had children. She has raised them in the faith. It may also include caring for unwanted orphans. In the Roman world, unwanted children were often left unattended to die, Unscrupulous people would sometimes take them for slavery or prostitution, but a godly Christian woman would take them into her own home to care for them. So uh, a lot of possibilities here, but the idea that she has been a a mother uh, to children and been faithful in in that role. Again, a general uh, qualification related to character and the kind of woman that she is. If she has lodged strangers... uh, lodge strangers. Uh, she uh, has a, uh, a heart, a servant's heart. Uh, she's other-centered. Um, in the New Testament days, hospitality was a really big thing. Um, Romans twelve, distributing to the needs of the saints. Notice spe- specifically saints given to hospitality. I think hospitality, especially is in relationship to the saints in the New Testament. First uh, Peter four nine, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. In uh, the early days of the church, uh, there were public inns, but they were places of ill repute uh, generally, unclean, unsafe, uh, dangerous places, prostitution, I mean, just all kinds of things. Not a good place to stay if you are traveling from one place to So they kind of depended on fellow Christians to take them in. In hospitality, to take in a brother and a sister for a day. Now, in the Didache or you know, some of those early writings in the early church, they said, "Hey, after three days, you know, that's it. <laughs> you can't, because people start taking advantage of this, right? Hey, I kind of like your cooking. This is a nice place to hang out for. We'll be here for several weeks. No, no, you won't. Didache says three days. Uh, you know, it's that old saying about what fish in three days or whatever. But anyway." Uh, yeah so there were there were some things that developed a little bit. But if she has lodged strangers, uh, she is a woman that 's been known for her hospitality, not just thinking about herself, just not, not inwardly uh, oriented but but outwardly as well, thinking about others uh, strangers. Uh, if she has washed the saints feet now in these days, uh, <clears throat> they literally wore sandals. Um, all over the place. I mean, that was the, normally the, the attire for <clears throat> shoes. And uh, it was normally, if you were a person who had any means, you probably had a slave who would wash the feet of your guests when they came to your house. Um, we know Jesus is the one who took the towel and went around to wash the disciples' feet. So it's that idea of, I'm willing to be humble and lowly in serving others, you know, washing others' feet. She's been there. Uh, She has washed the the saints' feet, indicative of humble, lowly uh, service. And if she has relieved the afflicted. She's a person of mercy. She cares about people when they're hurting. Uh, She's been there to do what she can. She has relieved the afflicted. She was there to to minister when people needed a special ministry of mercy. And uh, then he says, if she has diligently followed every good work. There's been a consistency in her life. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I remember 25 years ago she did something for somebody, <laughs> right? Uh, she's diligently done this, diligently followed every good work. Note the, note the tremendous emphasis here starts out the verse by saying, well-reported for good works, and at the end of the verse, diligently followed every good work. Uh, so, so this woman has quite the resume in terms of, of doing good, giving herself uh, for the good of others, Uh, Note the resume, Uh, at least 60 years old, faithful wife, reputation for good works, faithful mother, graded hospitality, humble servant of saints, merciful and compassionate, devoted to all kinds of good works. In other words, if you want to be on the widow's list, you better be perfect. (laughs) No, that's not what he's talking, but you get the, this is a godly, this is a godly woman who has been serious about serving the Lord and serving others. Uh, That's the emphasis all the way through here. Uh, This is what we might call a Proverbs 31 woman, right? I mean, it meets a lot of those character qualities that we find in Proverbs 31. And uh, how wonderful they are to be members of the church. And somebody that's been this devoted and this committed to serving the saints and and all the things. We need to be there for them. Imagine saying, oh, yeah, you've given your life and service and all that you've done here. But be warmed and filled. We wish you well. Uh, no, no, no. We need to be for, there for them. Uh, they have been there for the saints uh, through the years. Uh, let's see my next slide here. This is Jay Vernon McGee. I wish the church could get back to these very basic and simple principles and get away from the sentimental and emotional appeals that we hear instead. We respond to sentimental pleas from unworthy causes which are appealing to our soft hearts and neglect those in the very midst who have the real need. We overlook the wonderful widow in our church who is lonely and seldom visited. You know, this gets really practical sometimes. Uh, You've got to be kind of uh, intentional in terms of thinking about uh, the widows and those that, you know, maybe are not on the scene so much anymore because they're shut-ins or whatever. Uh, so we need to be there for them. They, they've been there for the body, and we need to be there for them. It's really what he is saying. Uh, So this is the criteria for those who would be uh, worthy of support uh, from the church. The church is, uh, you don't just put everybody on the list, Uh, but if they meet this kind of criteria, this kind of background, then they are to be considered for the widow's role, uh, where they would be fully supported by the church. All right, any other thoughts there before we go on to the next verses? I'd think she would fit the fit the criteria there, very godly woman serving God night and day with prayers, and yeah. yeah, absolutely, Anna in Luke chapter one, yeah, yeah, joy, yeah, I think we're talking general qualities here I mean, if she meets all these other character qualities. I'm gonna say she fits the, the criteria. It's not a, I don't think this is a legalistic checklist here. It's a general, you get the feel for the kind of person we're talking about here. So yeah, in fact, um, Paul said it's uh, better not to marry so you can have more f- full-time service. You know, So you're not gonna disqual- disqualify somebody who's given even more of themselves uh, to serving. So yeah, again, I think these are general character qualities overall. Uh, not a legalistic formula. Yeah, Dwayne? Uh, do we have a widow's list? We do not have a formal widow's list. But we, we, huh? But we do, we do have some ministry that's governed, that's geared towards them. And, no. And you know, it's interesting, we talk about, and we'll talk about this a little more as we, as we continue, because it's kind of interesting in our whole society, it's a little different place than where they were in the early church, where there was no welfare, there was no social security, uh, there, there was nothing like that. So there, there are things out here today that are in place that were not in place in the early church, and so it's a little different, you've got to kind of uh, make application uh, in terms of you know, the need and, and what we're looking at. So, you know, you say, well, that's bad. We should just do away. and We shouldn't depend on the government. Yeah, but I don't know who's willing to do that so much, you know. <laughs> we're all kind of part of that system. You know, it's been the system. You kind of work within the system that you find yourself in, uh, in a sense. Yes? So, uh, we're, talk- we're talking about these, and you said that you believe that they're general principles. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think in this situation where he's talking to Timothy, it's very specific. So when he's very specific, I'm going to say, well, okay, this is what he's meaning. I think it is the sense of an elderly woman. Um, you know, again, I think there'd be some grace. If you had a woman who's crippled up and she's 58 years old and not able to do anything, you know, I don't, really don't think the spirit of this is Paul would say, you know what, two more years, we'll consider you. <laughs> I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I think there's a spirit of things here a little bit, but but there, but this is a gauge. I think it's a gauge. Um, it's kind of interesting. We don't have any other references to this anywhere else. Um, and where do the elders come in? Where does the local church come in in terms of you know regulating their own affairs? Uh, I think it's a it's a general guideline. I mean, it does say, state it specifically. So you know, there's that too. But yeah, yeah, Dwayne. yeah well that's well that that is true, and, and we have specifics, right? I mean, there's a certain age of retirement for for people generally in our society. We kind of know that, although I guess 62, 65, 67. yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay, anything else? All right, let's go ahead and read verses 11 through 13. Who wants to read that? Yeah, it. Eleven through thirteen. the widows, begun to
1: grow
0: Christ, having first Okay. All right. He's got a few things to say about these younger ones here, too, right? And uh, he says, okay, uh, if they meet these qualifications as an older woman, uh, put them on the roll, but refuse the younger widows. Uh, Now, this seems to imply, again, that there's some kind of a a pledge or a commitment that they have made. All the way through, it seems that, that that's the case. Uh, there's some something involved here as far as the, the, they've made a commitment to serve the church or something. We're not told specifics here. Now they would have known. Uh, Timothy would have known what he was talking about exactly. But um, again, in context, the sense is that belonging to the widow's row evidently involved a pledge or a commitment of some kind. It seems to have involved a commitment on the part of the church to support them, but it also involved a commitment on the part of the widows to forego marriage and to serve the church in their role as a widow. That seems to be the sense of what we're talking about here, and especially as we continue on in these verses, that will come out. Um, Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, Uh, the idea here is that they're going to renege on their service, on their commitment uh, to serve Christ. Uh, in, the, in the role of being single, uh, as, a, as a widow. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, we want to always be there for people who are in a crisis, uh, who need help. But this is really talking about being on the welfare role, if you will, on the widow's role, uh, where they are being completely supported by the church. And he's saying, don't, don't put them on uh, on this permanent support role. Because, he says, when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ. In other words, when they're experiencing sexual desire and they want to get married, and they say, well, I know I made this commitment, uh, you know, to Christ, that I'm going to serve in this single role. You know, as Paul emphasized in 1 Corinthians 7, better to to be single. I mean, unless you don't have that gift. But anyway, in in this case here, um, he's saying, in effect, they are going to be compromising their commitment to Christ. If they made that kind of a commitment, and then they renege on this, uh, they have begun to grow wanting against Christ, and he makes it an issue of Christ against Christ, uh, and they desire to marry. Uh, Now, normally, uh, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever for a, a widow to remarry. I mean, they have the liberty to do so. But if they made a commitment not to, now that becomes kind of a problem here. And that's where he goes, verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Now, he's not talking about damnation here. He's talking about the condemnation, I think, of disciplinary judgment for not being faithful to their commitment that they have made. And it seems like this is a specific commitment to Christ, to serve Christ in the context of the local church. And so he says, uh, because they have cast off their first faith. Now, you know, there's some discussion about this. ESV Study Bible has a note. The issue is either that these widows who are being supported by the church have pledged to remain unmarried uh, so that to remarry would renounce this pledge, or that these younger widows might be tempted by their desires to marry unbelievers, thus turning away from the faith. Now, I don't see this last part. You know, there's nothing in the context that suggests that, hey, that's the issue, uh, that they're, they're maybe going to marry, marry an unbeliever. Now, that's kind of conjecture. Uh, we don't really have that uh, brought out here. Uh, first faith probably refers to their, their pledge of faith. They're going to trust God, and uh, they're going to make this commitment in faith, trusting God to meet their needs. And, uh, and, and then they renege on this. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> the idea here is not about saving faith, but rather a faith commitment of remaining unmarried after being widowed as a means of special service to Christ. The verb cast off means to reject, to to set aside, or to nullify. The idea is that of breaking a sacred commitment, which is always a serious matter before God. Again, Stephen Cole says, Paul is not condemning the natural desire of a younger widow to remarry. Uh, What is wrong is the breaking of a pledge. That's why most everybody agrees here. We're probably talking about some kind of a pledge that they have made, and now they're reneging on it. They're going back on it. And he says, no. Uh, and then he says, first uh, um, uh, verse 13, And besides, they learn to be idle, uh, wandering about from house to house. Again, he has concern about these younger, these younger widows. And he has some very practical concerns here. You know, it's kind of... It's interesting. Welfare mentality is is not a good thing. Uh, sometimes you learn certain things that are not good. Uh, notice what he says here. They learn to be idle. It's not like they just are naturally lazy. They kind of get into this groove here, and they're learning this. Uh, it, it's easy to get into a pattern. And idleness is the devil's workshop. Um, so... Um, they, they learn to be really uh, lazy. They're not, they're not diligent. Remember how in verse 10 at the end there, diligently, she has followed every good work. These, in contrast, learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And now, it's thought that perhaps in terms of the ministry that these widows may have had in relationship to serving the church, they would have had a ministry from house to house uh, in some ways. And, uh, that is not, would not be good, though, because they would learn to be, they would get into not only being idle, but gossips. Um, Deuteronomy 23, when you make a vow to the Lord uh, your God, you shall not delay uh, to pay it. You don't, you don't have to make a vow, but if you do, don't delay to pay it. For the Lord your God was surely required of you, and it would be sin to you. So a vow is a serious matter in the Bible. Ecclesiastes, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to, uh, to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to not vow than to vow and not pay. That seems to be what we're talking about all the way through here. Um, let's see here. It is, thought that <clears throat> it is thought that part of their service as widows being supported by the church uh, would probably involve visitation. But younger widows, uh, not being as mature, may have a tendency in their idleness to also become gossips and busybodies. Uh, it is presumed, uh, presumed that generally the older widows of proven character will have learned sufficient wisdom as to not easily fall prey to this type of behavior. Maturity does matter. Track record does matter. Youth has special struggles on the way to maturity. And so that seems to be what uh, he's uh, implying here. Um, They learn to be idle, wandering from house to house. Not only idle, but also gossips. The word gossips is the idea of tattlers. You know, we picked up this juicy information over here. We're going to pass it along over here. Prayer request, of course. (laughs) Uh, Gossips. Uh, And gossip is not just a matter of information. Sometimes uh, information is, is appropriate to share. But uh, gossip is negative in the sense that it is uh, tearing down people. It runs people down. Uh, it has a negative. It's not just a matter of uh, communicating information. Sometimes it's appropriate to share information. Sometimes people have the idea, well, gossip is just anytime anything is shared about anything. Well, <clears throat> you would never say anything about anybody if that was the case. Uh, gossip has a negative connotation where you're running uh, people down. So they become idle gossips is really what he's saying here. Uh, Proverbs 18, a lot in in Proverbs on this. The words of a tailbearer are like tasty trifles. They're tasty. They go down into the innermost body. Oh, tell me more. Uh, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. It's interesting. He kind of back-to-back connects a tailbearer with lazy, slothful. Gossip and idleness are consistently linked together, even as seen here in Proverbs 18. And uh, that is the linkage here. Uh, Not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies. Busybodies, uh, this word literally means one who who moves around. Um, I think I got a slide here. The term busybody uh, literally means one who moves around. The sense is that they are movers in other people's business which is none of their business. They stick their nose in where it doesn't belong and stir up trouble. Uh, we all know that, that kind of situation, right? I mean, it's just not good. Busybodies. Uh, this is Adam Clark, persons who meddle with the concerns of others who mind everyone's business but their own. Uh, this is a problem. We've got lots of free time. We're moving from house to house. We're getting all the juicy gossip. We're moving on to the, and, we, and then we interject ourselves into that. Uh, it's a problem no we don 't want that he 's saying that that 's bad let 's not go there uh, as gossips and this is expositors as gossips and busybodies these younger widows were saying things they ought not to. Uh, this always happens when people talk too much. The consequences of this meddling in other people 's business can be tragic, and indeed it can be it 's just not a healthy thing for the church okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts there before we go on to the next section here? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like
1: right. Than right.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, he is using 60, I think, generally, speaking of older women. Certainly, that's a case in this context. And as we go on here, it would seem like the, the younger ones he's specifically talking about are, are young enough to still bear children, to have a family. I mean, that's where he goes in his flow of thought here. So certainly, we're talking younger widows who have the potential to have a family, to start over in that sense. And uh, that, that's where he goes here in, in the next couple of verses here. Yeah. It's a relative term. Uh, Obviously, he did set the bar at 60, you know, but younger, as he goes on in his thought here, relates to those who are still able to marry and have children. So um, are we saying anything under 60 is is younger? Well, again... Well, they would certainly be younger than 60. There's no question about that. Mm
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah they are no so I'm to think you know, the than sixty if, if I train of in opinion, mm-hmm. younger, will say than sixty.
0: Some not, it's, it's interesting because he specifically uses the language of younger widows when he goes on in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 14 here. And uh, so uh, he's definitely thinking younger in terms of marrying, bearing children, uh, ruling the home.
1: What
0: exactly. I think this is the problem. What you just said there, as far as to over it, I think can be a problem. Because there is this in-between where they're not bearing children. Are they still younger? Well, he specifically speaks of the younger in relationship to those who are able to. But we, they're not age 60, so they're younger than 60. But they are kind of in that no-man's land there. I don't know about it, an over-strict formula because of that, that very thing you're talking about there. yes. What's, what's verse 14 say? Yeah, we haven't gone there yet. But it specifically speaks about bearing children there. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, things, things do change as you get older in life. And that's a fact. And so I think this all kind of goes together here. The younger ones who still have desire to get married, they're able to have children. I mean, he's kind of thinking through that lens. Right. Right.
1: Right.
0: So marriage is not just about sexual Again, we're speaking in general terms here. And when he talks about they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, that does seem to have some sexual connotations. But again, you're right. It's not the only reason you get married, companionship's a huge part of life and so forth. We're really kind of dealing with generalities here a little bit, I think, in terms of the feel here. And I think, again, I think this is why God has given elders to the church. Uh, Situations uh, are a little different. Like we talked about, if somebody's 58 and they were all crippled up, would we say, well, hey, you can't, uh, would Paul say, I mean, would that be the spirit? Well, he did say 60. (laughs) I guess I could come back with that. (laughs) But, you know, I, I think there's a spirit of things here. Okay, um, let's have somebody read verses uh, 14 and 15. Who wants to read that? 14 and 15. Anybody? Yeah, okay. Vince? Okay, thanks. So... uh Therefore, is a continuation of his thought, right? I mean, what he's been talking about, younger widows, this is where he goes with it. So, you know, he's definitely thinking in terms of, you know, evidently substantially younger. You're probably not going to be bearing children up till the age of 60, right? Uh, so it's a, it's a general counsel here. Uh, therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage your house. Now, you just can't automatically get married either, right? Uh, Maybe the younger widows want to get married, but what has to happen? (laughs) I mean, somebody has to be willing to marry them, right? You you don't give an altar call for this. I mean, uh, some things just have to kind of happen. And so again, I think we have some general counsel. He's speaking generally. I think we want to try to over-formulize it sometimes. But, uh, you know, it might not always happen for whatever reason. But in general, uh, I desire, he says, and he's giving his his counsel, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, uh, manage the house, manage the house. Now, this is interesting, this this language of manage the house. Uh, The word translated manage the house is actually a combination of Greek words despot and house. Uh, The word despot is often rendered as master in various other contexts. So quite literally, Paul says that she is to be the master of the house. Under, under What's that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's get to the last sentence here, shall we? Under the headship of the husband, the wife is to rule the house. So I, I think, you know, that's, that, that's the full combination there. Um, Warren Wearsby, few men can do in a home what a woman can do. And all the men said, Amen. Uh, Whenever my wife was ill or caring for our babies, and I had to manage some of the affairs of the home, I discovered quickly that I was out of my sphere of ministry. Boy, I'll tell you that's true. When my wife leaves, it is not the same. I can tell you that. Uh, And if it was very long, the whole neighborhood would be in trouble. Anyway. uh, That's right. That's right. That's true. That's true. Manage the house is not a legalistic straitjacket restriction, but Paul's emphasis that the married woman's life should revolve around her husband, her children, and her home. These are the God-ordained priorities of her life. And there's no getting around it. That, that is the emphasis that he makes here. Uh, her husband, her children, her home. And uh, so he wants that, that to be the focus. Uh, that's his desire. Uh, again, there's going to be all kinds of exceptions, perhaps, But in in general. Um, Let's see here. One more. Uh, It's not just, uh, he makes this emphasis lots of times, or various times. Uh, In chapter 2, nevertheless, you'll be saved uh, in childbearing. And I think he's not just talking about having children, but then what happens after the children show up on the scene. And this is what we're looking at here. Then in Titus, uh, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste homemakers. So we see that same uh, realm uh, the husbands, the children, the home. uh, And then other things he says there. So he's pretty consistent in what he is saying in terms of his emphasis there. And then he says, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Uh, He's really thinking about them in terms of their God ordained role in relationship to the home, uh, the family, the husband. And uh, he says, this is normally uh, where they would function, and this will keep them out of trouble lest they get into trouble as far as their their testimony. We want to be a good testimony. Uh, Paul's greatest concern was the testimony of individual believers and how that reflects on the church. As believers, our concern is not just ourselves, but that of the entire church. We see this all the way through the book, uh, various references. Uh, Does my activity enhance the testimony of the church? Uh, That is the big issue. That's the big idea that he's he's bringing out here. So Paul puts a a strong emphasis on the young women and that they not be a bad testimony. This is his concern. Uh, This repeated emphasis shows that this was a special concern that he had. How a woman lives reveals her convictions in relationship to what God says. It reveals her values and what she considers most important. The issue is not so much about her activities in a legalistic sense, but about where her heart is at. And uh, so, anyway. Uh, Okay, Uh, then he says, (laughs) he comes back to this, uh, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Well, what does that mean? Some have already turned aside after Satan. Well, evidently, some have broken vows where they had committed themselves to serving in a state of singleness and serving the church, and then they had reneged on it. And so that's perhaps why he says, okay, let's, up, let's put this up to 60 years old here. Uh, we've, been, we've been working with two uh, women that are too young here. And uh, they have reneged on their vows. And, and he says, turn to after Satan. So note, uh, grow wanton against Christ, verse 11. Uh, turned aside after Satan. This is kind of an issue of Satan and Christ, and they're in the middle. And which way they're going to go here? And he says, some have already turned aside after Satan. In other words, I think what he is saying that they, they have broken their vow in terms of their service, and in doing so, they really have gone aside after Satan. All right, verse sixteen. Let's finish out here. If any, uh, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Uh, The older manuscripts don't have man here. If any believing woman has widows. That's interesting. Um, Thomas Constable says, In conclusion, Paul sought to correct a possible misunderstanding. He wrote that a financially capable woman should also maintain the widows in their families so the church would not have to support them. To you know, (laughs) this applies to women as well as men, uh, is what he is saying. It's interesting uh, that uh, really the older manuscripts don't have man here, just have have woman. So anyone who's in a position to support uh, a family member who's in this position should do so. And that's what he says, uh, let them relieve them. This is the third time he has emphasized family first. We see it in verse 4, we see it in verse 8, and now we see it here again in verse 16. The emphasis is family first. Uh, the family should take care of needs, uh, of widows who have needs. Uh, let them relieve them. And don't say, well, hey, we we'll does take them out of the church. church will do it. This is what the church is supposed to do. No, the family is supposed to do it. And then if they don't have any family whatsoever, and they meet the qualifications and they're older, then Uh, they can be put on the list. And so he says, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows or or widows indeed. Okay, let me finish off with just a few slides here. Warren Wiersbe again, certainly we must honor our parents and grandparents and seek to provide for them if they have needs. Not every Christian family is able to take in another member and not every widow wants to live with her children. Might want to underscore that. Uh, Where there is sickness or handicap, professional care is necessary. You know, we kind of face that with with Jane's folks. We fixed up our house to where we were prepared to take them in. But uh, when it came to lifting her dad, um, I'm not always there. (laughs) It was just impossible. And so we worked through that. It wasn't easy. And uh, that's what they go on to say here. Uh, Professional care may be necessary, and perhaps this cannot be given in a home. Each family must decide what God's will is in the matter, and no decision is easy. The important thing is that believers show love and concern and do all they can to help each other. I think that's a very balanced and and good statement there. Uh, Lots of things, sometimes uh, distance. There's all kinds of things that enter into the equation. I think, again, it's the spirit of the matter uh, that's in in view here. Uh, Stephen Cole, again, Paul is wise and practical. He does not want the church to turn into a welfare agency. Some people tend to think the church is a welfare agency. People call me all the time. Do you pay people's electric bills? Sure, we're just looking for another one. (laughs) We're a welfare agency. Just call us. We'll pay your bills. Uh, No. Uh, We want to be gracious, good Samaritans, you know, crisis needs and all that. But uh, we're not a welfare agency, supporting those who are not serving or who should be carrying their own load. Uh, If any would not work, neither should eat. Paul also said that. So there is biblical balance in most things requiring wisdom and discernment. We must keep in balance responsibility and ability. Uh, So there are some balances there. Okay, and finally, John MacArthur uh, tells, whoops, there we go. John MacArthur tells a story about a man in his church who invited a friend to their church. The man replied, you go to that church? I wouldn't go to that church. The most corrupt lawyer in town goes to that church. MacArthur said he still has no idea who he was talking about, but the next Sunday he recounted this incident from the pulpit and said, if the lawyer that man described is here this morning, please take a lesson from Zacchaeus. Repent and do whatever you can to restore your reputation in the community. In the meantime, stop representing yourself as a Christian. You are destroying the whole church's reputation. You know, there is truth in that. Uh, And I think how we handle ourselves in the home And then, by extension, in the family of God can either be a great thing in terms of our reputation or it can be a very negative thing. And we want to be a good reputation. That's the whole issue throughout here is we have an obligation to care for our own as you have opportunity to good on all men, Paul says, especially the household of faith. I mean, your own family is is your first and foremost priority. That's certainly true when it comes to the widows, the godly widows in our midst. All right, any other thoughts as we uh, wrap up? Yeah. about you know, you know. James the Yep. great.
1: Yep. Right.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And it wouldn't matter what age or or whatever. I mean, if there's a crisis situation, uh, we want to be there for brothers and sisters for sure. But again, as you think about uh, long-term permanent support role, uh, I think about this sometimes that people don't want to have any involvement in the church. Uh, they, They don't ever help anybody else. But all of a sudden, they've got needs. Well, we do want to be gracious even there. But it does make a little difference if you've got somebody who's vitally involved and they have needs. I mean, there, there are some there priorities here that Paul lays out in terms of the, the support role here. So, all right, yeah. It. As far as what the, those are doing. Right, yeah, that's right. This is an extension of his thought there. Yeah, we covered that last time, but yeah, you're right absolutely. Verse 5, and now she who is really a widow and left alone trusting God continues in supplication prayers day and night. So that same thought, she's a godly woman and uh, she's not living in pleasure. As he contrasts, he goes on to say the one who's living in pleasure is dead while she lives. So yeah, he's talking about really the godly are worthy of support by God's people here. So yeah, and, and the other qualification is really a widow indeed. You know, she, she doesn't have anybody else. Uh, so, those two things, godly and, and, a, and a widow, indeed. In all right, anything else? Okay, very good. Good discussion tonight. Glad we got that all solved. Anyway.